Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be talking about fertility before and after pregnancy. What are the many ways that your body communicates fertility? What do your cervix and breasts want you to know? How is your menstrual cycle affected by sleep or nutrition? What's your normal? Emily Varnum and Kelsey Knight tell us more about this fifth vital sign of health. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Natural Breastfeeding and their free quick start video. Created by breastfeeding experts Dr. Teresa Nusbitt and Nancy Moorbacher, this video will show you what you need to know to get started with natural breastfeeding. Go watch it at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas-to-be. As always, thank you for listening and for all the love you give the show. It makes me super happy to read the reviews that you leave on iTunes because, well, one, it lets me know that this thing we're doing together is making a difference, but two, because each review on iTunes helps helps us go up on the rankings, which in turn means that more mamas will get to see the show and go, what is this? And then click on it and listen and start gobbling up all the past episodes and learn a ton and have better pregnancies and births and postpartums than if they hadn't listened to it in the first place. And all of that would be thanks to your review. So if you haven't written one, what are you waiting for? Thank you in advance. Summer is just around the corner, and you probably know that For this podcast, this means birth stories. I am a big believer that listening to good birth stories, whether they are in a hospital or home, with or without drugs, non-medicated, cesareans, all of them, they help normalize birth and balance out all the horror stories that you might hear from strangers or the drama-filled stories you get on the TV, which are totally fake. I don't know if fake, but yeah, like your water doesn't need to break and then you rush to the hospital. That's a lie. That's a lie. So if you feel like you'd like to share your birth story on the show, let's do this. Send me a message through the contact form at birthful.com and write, I want to share my story in the subject line. I cannot wait to hear what you have to share. And finally, if you're finding that the podcast is super helpful and you're looking forward to hearing these amazing birth stories during the summer, then why not become a friend of the podcast? Head on over to patreon.com slash birthful and become a friend of the show. Pledges start at $1 per month, which is only a quarter per episode and way more helpful than a nursing cover. So write a review, share your birth story, or become a friend of the show at patreon.com slash birthful. Those are three easy peasy ways that you can be involved in this birthful village that we've created together. All right, so now on to today's show. Today I have here Emily Varnum and Kelsey Knight from The Fifth Vital Sign, and if you don't know what that is, you are in for a treat. But before we get into that, how about I tell you a little bit more, a little bit more about them? Emily Varnum is a birth and postpartum doula, midwife's assistant, birth control doula, placenta encapsulation specialist, and holds a degree in counseling and mentoring. She has been working with newborns and families since age seven, and her goal is to be able to take people's hands during during puberty and walk with them through every stage of reproductive health. Her practice as a birth control doula has taken her to classes, talks, and OBGYN visits with her clients. In 2014, Emily developed and began offering a class called My Vagina, My Business. It was this class and her desire to connect with other communities, uh, to connect with communities across America that inspired the fifth vital sign. Kelsey Knight, she is a labor and delivery registered nurse in in New York City. She trained and volunteered as an interpartum doula, opening her eyes to the imperatives of informed consent and health as a human right, and subsequently pursued a nursing career in inpatient obstetrics. She is a certified lactation consultant, sorry, she is a certified lactation counselor, childbirth educator, and member of the Association of Women's Health Obstetric and Neonatal Nurses. 
uh, which the acronym for that is A1. Emily and Kelsey are best friends and co-creators of the Fifth Vital Sign Project. For the past 11 weeks, they've road tripped across the United States, teaching free reproductive health classes in over 63 locations along the way, spreading information about body literacy and informed choice. Emily and Kelsey, welcome to the show. It's so amazingly awesome to have you here. Yay. Thank you so much, Adriana. Thank you. Yay. Um, <laughs> Is it still 63 locations? Like, isn't it every, I feel like every second there's one new one. <laughs> it's a lot. We, we try not to count. I think if we had looked at the schedule with like less tired eyes when we first made it, we maybe would have never gotten in the car. And I think it's good that we just take every day at a time. So we don't really keep track, but we'll probably look back at it and be like, wow, we saw a lot of the country and we saw, met a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I find that that's the best way to make decisions because sometimes if you think stuff, you yeah. do, I don't know if I really thought about it. Well, I would always have a child, but there's a lot of stuff <laughs> in my life that I would not have necessarily done if I knew what it would require. So, yeah, I think sometimes ignorance is, is bliss in some cases. We don't. I don't think that's something we would usually say, but we were both working full time and working a lot of nights when we were planning this. So... Yeah, we were just taking it one day at a time. And, um, you know, I think we still would have done it if we had known what we were getting into because it's been such an incredibly positive experience. But sometimes, you know, long drives and lots of coffee sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those who don't know, tell us what is, you know, explain what is the fifth vital sign and this project that you guys are on? The fifth vital sign is the menstrual cycle. We we wanted to kind of give classes that were about body literacy and explained and kind of talked about people's options for birth control, for um, reproductive health, for hormonal health. And we kind of wanted to frame the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, which is why we have that little hand sign that's like taking your pulse, but it's on your uterus. Um, and we felt like that was a really good way of framing it and also not making it specifically about a body part or specifically about a gender, but just kind of talking about the menstrual cycle. And we'd really like everybody to be involved in the classes, even if they don't have a menstrual cycle, um, because we feel like this is such important information. So we wanted to make it really kind of, you know, a bit more open. Mm -hmm. And so that, so that, is what the you know the idea you had when you first came up with it and then what fueled the road trip like the let's go because you guys so you started in New York City and you've been all the way to California and are already on your way back that's a big long drive yeah it is <laughs> I think um, <clears throat> we just wanted to reach as many people as possible um and we knew we wanted to do it in person we were inspired by a Gloria Steinem quote that was in her most recent memoir about meeting people in all five senses and how um, very real change can come from that. Yeah, and for me, I guess it was that I had been doing these classes in New York that were similar but not the same, and then people had been asking me these questions, and I was like, because they knew I was seeing births and they knew I was working in that field, but they weren't necessarily relating to birth. They were talking about different phases of reproductive health. And because I was that person in my community, people were asking me. And so I felt like, well, I know a little bit about what's happening in New York. I know that reproductive health climate, I guess, but I wanted to know what was happening in the whole country. It feels like there's a lot right now. It's very political. There's different um, problems with access and stigma and all these things and it's really affecting people's lives and so this felt like a way to also get into communities and listen you know if we offer something we get to also hear people's stories and Kelsey and I have felt for a long time that stories can be really medicinal for those telling them and for those hearing them and that's kind of the premise of our podcast actually um but so we felt like this was a way to kind of do that in person mm-hmm yeah, and it is so vital and important. I so after I found out about the the work that you're doing, I'd been telling my friends about it and have found much as I'm sure you guys have that people are 
at all different levels of knowledge and connection with their own menstrual cycle and and that fifth vital sign. And some people, it's just, they just go with it, but it's something that happens that they're not connected to and they're not quite sure how they got pregnant. And like, I mean, they know the mechanics, but (laughs) in terms of connecting with their rhythms and their cycles, they're not quite there. And then on a personal level, like I was obsessed with my basal temperature and my psych like very much attuned with how every cell of your body almost changes right 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 so the point of this podcast today was to talk about fertility before and after pregnancy just so we could connect it to that maternity aspect of it Mm -hmm. um but I guess so let's let's focus first on the on the fertility side on the front end what are important things that people should like that can help them in that journey of fertility mm-hmm. in terms of like just observing their body's fertility yeah and getting pregnant like some what is some of the things that you preach and not preach but share and teach in terms of relating relating that knowledge of your menstrual cycle to the the act of trying to get pregnant um well what we really try to do is we try to give people tools and language to observe how their body communicates fertility and in doing that we give them a way of listening to their body in a different way than they maybe have before and then we start from there because what can happen is that we make decisions based upon what we think is happening sometimes rather than what's actually happening rather than looking inside of our own bodies and asking questions about our individual body's needs. So we teach fertility awareness method actually is a skilled form of listening. And I think that's the first phase in trying to achieve anything with reproductive health is just finding out what's true for you. So there are different fertile signs that we can observe. One of them, like you said, is the basal body temperature. That, for anybody who doesn't know, is the temperature that you can take after at least five hours of sleep. You take it at the same time every day. You start to look for a shift up for one temperature that is higher um, and then would stay high. And that indicates actually the presence of progesterone in the body from the corpus luteum, which is actually the empty follicle that has released an egg. So it signifies that ovulation has happened. We can also look at cervical fluid, and we're looking for fertile cervical fluid, which would be kind of similar to egg white. It's viscous, it is clear, stretch it between your fingers, and you'd be looking for more cervical fluid and that quality of cervical fluid, which can keep sperm alive for up to five days, and that extends the window of fertility past the 24 hours that an egg can live in the body. We have then the cervical fluid that could keep sperm alive you know, for five days and and wait for an egg to be released and fertilize it. And then we're looking at cervical positioning. And in terms of maybe our infertile time, the cervix may be uh, lower and firmer and drier. And then it actually moves up out of the way. It can be wetter and softer and actually dilates a little bit during that fertile time. And we're looking at all those different things. And I think when we teach people that from early on, we can also give them a different sense of ownership over their body, authority on their healthcare choices and options, and kind of this idea of of self-worth, because I think that we talk a lot about sperm as a symbol of fertility, and we don't necessarily talk about cervical fluid. And it's really important, you know, everybody's body and its different functions um, and capabilities is important, and I think sometimes people don't learn about cervical fluid for a really long time. And actually the changes in different types of cervical fluid that you can see can seem pathological when you don't know that they're going to be different. So the first place that we start is by looking at what's true in your body in terms of, you know, if you're trying to get pregnant, that's what we would ask people to do. Sometimes people ask us specific questions and we're like, it's more harmful for us to give you an answer without knowing what's happening in your body but that sometimes happens, you know, with providers. It's not because they don't want to give individual care. It's just not the 
climate that we have right now and people bringing that information, you know. So that's what we're kind of trying to encourage people to do. And further from that, then, if we're listening to the body, we can start to speak back. And that's about different lifestyle and diet and um, health choices that you can make. And then it becomes a conversation with your body. Does that answer your question? It does. There's there's a lot of information there. <laughs> That's a great, great um, information. And I'm so glad you brought up cervical fluid because that's, you know, it can sound icky sometimes, you know, it's like it's just be in touch and, and figure out and pay attention to this mucus that's coming out your vagina. Not mucus, but you know, it's that, but it yes. does change. And meet your cervix. Yes. Please. Yes. <laughs> we always say that we're like, sometimes you meet your cervix in labor and we'd really like people to have the opportunity to meet parts of their body before there are so many, there are so many questions to be answered and so many things to learn during pregnancy. And we feel like we could help people and each other to, get to know our bodies before then so that it could be less intimidating. I think too, some people might not know how to check their cervical fluid. So we just like to not make any assumptions in the class. Um, and, and you can check your cervical fluid in, in one of three ways, usually like on your underwear or when you're wiping in the bathroom, or you can put, it's usually like your thumb and forefinger into your vagina and, and get some cervical fluid from there and, and take it out and kind of take a look. And do you go into it like, like we are getting into the TMI section of this, <laughs> but do you no also, TMI there's no, no TMI, worries. do you also talk about different, not just texture and viscosity, but also smells? We actually, we talk about smells, but what's interesting is that we, we try not to assume things for people and so when we're talking about smells we're really actually talking about um like something like bacterial vaginosis which is more pathological what we actually talk about is vaginal ph and mm -hmm. checking your vaginal ph so that people can use that as kind of a way of interacting with their vaginal ecology so we would talk about like um checking your ph and we check on dry days because your vaginal pH is different from your cervical pH. And what we're looking for is that it would be between 3.8 to 4.5. And we're trying to sort of normalize, even just thinking about how we support our vaginal pH and how we support our good bacteria. You know, do we, do we eat the right things so that our gut bacteria is really balanced and that feeds into that, um, that environment in the vagina? Or do we, um, do we use tampons that are maybe too absorbent and take the menstrual um, blood and tissue, but also take away some of the good bacteria? Do we wash with things that are not pH balanced and so would be taking away for some of that good bacteria? And we try to sort of remind people that um, we have this good bacteria that's sort of protecting that environment and we want to think about ways to support it. And that good bacteria, the pH, would that, mm -hmm. that does the pH also change and shift depending on your time in the cycle and where you're fertile or not? Is that another indicator? Yeah, so the, um, the pH of the cervical fluid changes, actually. So, um, like, menstrual blood is around 7.8 in pH. Um, sometimes you'll have such acidic cervical fluid that it could kill sperm on contact and sometimes sperm has a pH of eight sometimes uh cervical fluid like the fertile cervical fluid would actually be pH matched to sperm so that it can keep sperm alive and not kill it um and it has sugars to keep to like sustain the sperm while it waits for that for an egg to show up so that's so cool that's like the, i know it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing our bodies are amazing sperm, right yes yes <laughs> Um, it's really, really cool. And we, we learned some of this stuff. It's been so great meeting so many people on the road. And we learned some of this stuff from this woman called Samantha Zipporah, who's in Oregon City and who's one of our hosts. So we've been very lucky to meet lots of people who have, you know, added new things to our, um, just to, to our consciousness. They've like added all these different layers of information, which has been really cool, which is what we want for people. We want them to take different layers of information and and then decide what they want to do. We want them to see all of this. Like we want them to see their doctor, their midwife, their nutritionist, their abdominal massage therapist as layers of information and just kind of get as much as we can, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, it's so easy to read your body if you're attuned to it, right? I like the concept of the conversation 
of listening, paying attention and then hearing what your body is telling you. And the more you listen, then if you're used to being in tune with it and knowing what is normal for you, then you might be more attuned to abnormality if it shows up. Right. <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let's recap the fertility part. Like what are so some of the things that to, to look at if you're looking to pinpoint when you're fertile and, you know, in order to get pregnant? Yeah. So you would be looking at your basal body temperature, your cervical fluid and your cervical positioning. And you want an elevated, you want to see that spike on the basal temperature. Mm-hmm. You want to see a more juicy and thick cervical. Egg, it's actually kind of like egg white. Egg so white. viscous, clear, stretchy um, cervical fluid. And then you'd be looking in terms of vaginal, uh, in terms of cervical fluid, in terms of cervical positioning, sorry. Um, you would be looking for the cervix to be kind of... Um, up out of the way so it would be a little bit further if you're checking it from the outside you would be it would be further away from your fingers and it would be softer and it would be slightly dilated and there would be the cervical fluid around it. it would be much more wet cool now when you talk about checking ph do you actually then just take the you know like do ph strips like how do you do that i do do that yeah like the same that you have for your <laughs> yeah. fish tank oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. Awesome. I'm going to go out and get some <laughs> some pH strips because now I've got to test this. I, I agree it's like a science experiment. Yeah. Well, one of the things, and now, again, one of the things that I did at, at some point is I did put cervical fluid on a slide to let it dry because it ferns differently, right? Mm-hmm. Can you explain Very that? Cool. <laughs> um Listen to Emily and Kelsey try to explain my unusual science experiment request after the break. Research tells us that 92% of new moms report significant problems with breastfeeding within the first week, and that common problems include nipple pain, milk production, and latching. Let me tell you, nipple pain sucks. It is no fun at all. And the thing is that it only takes a couple of badly latched breastfeeding sessions for your nipples to become unnecessarily damaged. Do yourself a favor and go watch Dr. Teresa Nesbitt and Nancy Moorbacher's free quick start video that gives you everything everything you need to know to get started with natural breastfeeding. I have seen these techniques work time and time again since this is what I teach my doula clients and it's also super comfortable to do. I'm telling you, your back will not hurt from breastfeeding if you use these techniques. So go do it. Go watch the quick start video to natural breastfeeding at naturalbreastfeeding.com. We are back. Here are Kelsey and Emily again. Um. Yeah, so it looks like it does look like ferns when your when your cervical fluid is fertile, and when it's not, then it looks a little bit less. I want to say, or like a little bit less organ. It's hard to describe, but a little bit less like uniform in the. It doesn't look as much like ferns. It's a little bit less kind of yeah uniform organized in a pattern, which is really cool to look at. Yeah, it, it's it's like those frosty mornings mm-hmm. when you have frost on the windows and they kind of fern out. <laughs> yeah, it's I just remember that it was really cool watching. Like, oh my god, look at that! That is so different from like whatever two weeks ago. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So there's some science experiments that people can do. Yeah, I'm I'm blushing as I'm talking. <laughs> it's a good the thing. other. Yeah. Go ahead. The other thing that cycling that um, I'm, I want Kelsey to talk about because she does it so well is breasts. At the same time as all those things are cycling, we really need to pay more attention to breasts. Oh, yeah. So tell me <clears> about <throat> breasts. We just, in the classes, we talk a little bit about how um, usually for, for people three to four days before their period, their breasts might get sensitive. And <clears throat> we like to talk about sensitivity rather than tenderness or pain because we think we normalize pain around the menstrual cycle too often you know we talk about it's kind of expected or normal that people have really bad menstrual cramps or really really painful breasts before their cycle and so we just want to 
kind of change the conversation around that and ask for more and expect more. And that's kind of where Emily's diet and lifestyle recommendations for hormonal health come in. And again, that was kind of came from a conversation um, with our host and especially Samantha Zapora. So we, we just, yeah, that was, we really appreciated that. Um, but some people also experience cysts that come and go throughout their cycles and that could be their normal. I mean, the whole time in our classes, we're just talking about getting to know your normal so that you can bring individualized information to your healthcare provider in order to get individualized care. Mm-hmm. That, yes. I, and, and now that you mention it, I can, I can absolutely think and go like, of course the breasts feel different throughout and they cycle different, but I hadn't actually consciously thought about it. Yeah. And that's something you can keep track of all this, like in a journal. And that's, that's part of fertility awareness too, is charting all of this information. And there are lots of great apps that you can use and you can also do paper charting. Do you have a favorite app? We, so I actually love the fact that Daisy has made a certified medical, they're one of the apps and they've made a device that can do, that can basically be your birth control. And I love that they've done that because I think that it makes it so accessible for people. And I also love anytime somebody takes the time to make something for reproductive health, I I make this joke in our classes that it is unbelievable to me that we have an Apple Watch and we still ha- have the same breast pumps that we've had for so long. I'm like, could we not, you know, try and update that? And so I'm really excited about what Daisy's done with this. It's a certified medical device, so people can actually get it reimbursed with depending on the insurance provider they have, and it takes your basal body temperature. It learns you for three months, just like you would do with any fertility awareness mm-hmm. method. Um, and then it will give you these different colored lights. It will be green if you're infertile and red if you're fertile. And I think that's just amazing because it's a way that people can actually start to really use this in their lives. And further than that, I really love um, Groove, which has an education component. Um, and, is, and you also just have to look behind the apps and look at who is making them because we are talking about something that has a huge impact on people's lives. It's about fertility and knowing when they're fertile and infertile and they're making decisions on that. So we really want to trust where things are coming from. And, you know, both, both Daisy and Groove are made by people who use these things and um, have information about sort of the whole field and the whole spectrum of how people are using these things in their lives. So I think that's really important. I also love to recommend paper charting. I think that's a really great way to go. Also, I think there's different things for different people and, you know, paper charting can also be great if you're kind of just exploring this journey and, and want to try different things. I think that's one way that you can start um, by getting, you know, it, it's one way that it's accessible. Not everybody has um, a smartphone and wants to, to do that. So you can just download these charts. And you can buy a drugstore thermometer and that's it. You're, you're ready. And you can even make a chart in Excel. Like if you want to just put in the information, it's really accessible and we, we want it to be in people's hands. You know, we want it to be something that anybody can be like, yep, you know, I could do that. Yeah. I think that's a question we often get is like, okay, this is all great, but how do I start? Where do I start? And you know, exactly what Emily said, buying that thermometer and starting with paper charts or an app is a great place. There's also a book we always recommend called Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weishler. That's I'm a great writing these things down. <laughs> <laughs> and also if you're interested for your teen, um, she has a book called Cycle Savvy and it focuses more on fertility awareness as body literacy rather than as birth control or you know, or as a way to um, be ovulation aware in order to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of this is once you know your cycle and your rhythm and how your body moves, you you can use the information both ways to get pregnant or to avoid getting pregnant. Or for health. Yeah. You know, one of the most amazing things about fertility awareness method is it doesn't need to be about anybody else. It can just be about you and your relationship with you. And you can see like, well, what happens if I don't get a lot of sleep? Like, what does that look like in my cycle? What happens if I eat this? What does that look like in my cycle? And that's the part where it becomes a conversation and I think that that's really amazing because it is not towards like it's not towards an achievement or a goal and I think there's less pressure on the body and I like to say to people sometimes like it's cool because next cycle you get another go you know so 
we don't need to we don't need to put as much pressure and then i think in terms of achieving pregnancy it's great because you get all this information and actually you know maybe the first thing is like you want to get um cycle like there might be things that are making your cycle less um you know less regular or there might be things that are affecting ovulation or whatever it is but there might be a way that you first have to or you first get to kind of interact with your health and well-being in order to be ready to start trying to achieve a pregnancy and there's all the information there and so it can it's it's less pressure than just kind of like okay I'm doing an ovulation strip and it's at this time and now I can tell if I'm ovulating and that can be really emotional and it can also be really expensive you know so this gives you something that is kind of you know somebody described to us that like they get something every time she was trying to get pregnant and she was saying well Either I get to, you know, achieve a pregnancy or I get to bleed and I, she uses her blood to fertilize her plants. And she was saying any, either way it's life, you know, and that was a really cool way to look at it. And either way it's information and either way it's a journey with yourself and, and you, you, you get to kind of like, yeah, I think it's a really nice way to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is so many, I wish I could talk with you guys for days. Days. There's so <laughs> we, much we knowledge need to do a in class with you. Yes, we will. We'll talk about that afterwards and try to make it happen. I do want to do that. But um, going back to one of the things you talked about, you mentioned diet and teaching about different foods for mm-hmm. fertility. Could you t- could you expand on that? Yeah, what we're really looking at there is thinking about what does our body need to make hormones. Like our body will prioritize different systems and actually our reproductive system is not if we're thinking about fight or flight or a stress response we are not necessarily thinking about prioritizing reproduction in that time you know so actually a lot of times what I kind of say is like we don't ask we don't ask our car to take us anywhere without fuel so we don't let's not ask our body to take us anywhere without putting anything in and um, that can be about getting the right fats and the right minerals and the right um, supplements to actually you know, make hormones. Um, I think I really like to stress the importance of getting good fat for hormonal health. It's really protective for um, the adrenal gland and the hypothalamus and the pituitary. And it's really great to to give your hormones something to take from. And then, um, and then really examining stress response. I think that's another part of it is just looking at like what things in my life really, what relationships. And when I say relationships, I mean in terms of a relationship to a place, a situation, a job, or a person, and um, examining those relationships and seeing if I really need to feel stressed about them, and if I really need to have them, if they are making me, if they are stimulating my body's stress response. Because when you are overstimulating your adrenal gland and it um, needs a lot of cortisol, then because progesterone is so chemically similar to cortisol, it will take from progesterone, and that may cause a hormonal imbalance. So we're really looking at you know, trying to support our body to be in balance. And we're looking at not asking our body to prioritize, you know, running from a tiger, which is what we're telling our body to do when we're putting it in a stress response. Our body can't tell the difference between like, I'm really stressed about my job or I'm really stressed about this conversation I had. We can't tell the difference between that and I'm running away from a tiger to save my life. And so we don't really want to tell our body that all the time because we're not running away from tigers that often. I'm definitely not. So, um, <laughs> so we, you know, we need to really examine that. And I think we're not asked to really look at stress response enough in modern life. So that's one thing. And then in terms of diet, yeah, just giving our body enough, you know, good, good fats and, and really thinking about the sources of xeno hormones. Like where do we get um, foreign hormones that are not our body's own hormones? These xeno hormones that can be like a xenoestrogen can be binding with your body's estrogen receptor and doing the same job but creating too much estrogen this idea of estrogen dominance and we want to think about sort of reducing those things so that can be about products it can be about what you eat um it can be about what you clean your house with and really examining the sources of those and saying well do i have symptoms of estrogen dominance which are like painful breasts or pms or painful cycles um and do i want to take some of those out and see how that would look for me and and being in balance is is a really important part of being a fertile human you know so we're really just looking at ways to bring ourselves back into balance and and that's about allowing our bodies to have what they need 
And I really like the way Emily talks about xenohormones in our class because I think sometimes when you hear about this sort of thing, it can feel really scary. But we talk about not going home and throwing like all of your, you know, house products away. But just if you're if you finish one, then to go out and buy a new one that has less ingredients and more natural ingredients and kind of doing it that way, just one 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 thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love in terms of skincare products jessa blades is this amazing natural beauty goddess i would say i don't <laughs> think that's too strong a word for her um she's amazing and she talks about how quickly our bodies actually sort of you know get these things out like it de- will detox these things that we put on our skin out of the bloodstream very quickly so if we want to stop using something then our bodies know how to get rid of it. It's really just that these are things that we sometimes use one, two, three times a day. And she talks about, well, if you want to use something once a year or you know once in a while, then that's okay. But really examining what you use frequently and then thinking about making changes there. Could you re- Sorry, could you repeat her name, Jessica? Jessa Blades. Jessa Blades. Jessa Blades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know her. She's, she's great. You have to, you have to know her. I will. I will. I will find her. <laughs> um, do you have a resource where listeners can learn more about what are some good protective fats? I actually have not really looked that much into that. I know there's a really good, um, a really great book. Actually, you know what a great resource is is the Hormonal Harmony Summit, and where you can look at. All, you can listen to all different podcasts, and this would actually be great for you um, to listen to too. Um, and it just has like all these different people who have spoken about different aspects of hormonal health, and there are some really great diet ones in there. I think too, um, she does. She definitely touches on diet, but she t- touches on a lot of other sort of lifestyle and diet recommendations. Is um, Lara Bryden in her book, The Period Repair Manual, and she talks about <clears throat> like different issues like PCOS or infertility or endometriosis and fibroids. And she's a naturopathic doctor. So she talks about treating those things in um, naturopathic ways. She has some diet recommendations in there too. Awesome. I I think it's about, yeah, just, sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. I think it's just about people finding their individual guide for whatever they need and, and seeing who that person is because it's different for everyone. And we like to talk about that because, we've gotten to meet so many people that have inspired us and we know it's not just about what we, it's about what we're all doing together. Right. And what all the different things that we're all bringing. So just kind of seeking out, well, if you hear one thing that really speaks to you, just really going further with that. And, you know, it's been different for Kelsey and I, I mean, we could probably talk about our personal experiences of like, who's really inspired us, but um, you know, it's, I think it's really important that people find that guide if that's what they need and and have that person to kind of help them with their specific um the specific need that they have maybe maybe has come to light through charting or through kind of um observing their own fertility Mm -hmm. and i'd like how so recently i spoke to jennifer margulis um and she mentioned that how pregnancy is an indicator of good health so not only by trying to get pregnant or being in that journey of fertility, all the things that you're doing are not just going to get you pregnant, but they're also going to make you healthier. They're going to help your whole body. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a phrase that just stuck with me when I spoke to her very last week or something. Yeah, we would, we would definitely agree with that. Um, And that's exactly, that's the way you can kind of talk back and, um, we, you know, we think the menstrual cycle is, is an incredible indicator of health and pregnancy is wrapped up in that. <clears throat> so let's switch gears and talk about the other side, because we're talking about fertility. Let's talk about fertility after pregnancy, because talk about a shift on hormones and cycles and whole spectrum, you know, pregnancy just ugh, moves everything <laughs> around. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes, definitely. I think what's so cool, and we talk about this in our classes when we're teaching, you know, when we're kind of going over fertility awareness method. And I think that it's so cool that there is lactation amenorrhea method. I think that is so awesome that the body like put that in. They were like, oh, do you want some natural family planning? Okay, here it is. And um, that's the idea that if you have a baby and you don't menstruate or ovulate, 
directly after than if you're nursing every two to three hours on the boob, not using a pump or any artificial nipples, then that will actually suppress the gonadotrophins, the luteinizing and the follicle stimulating hormone. And you will be able to use that as birth control for six months. And you'd still want to take your basal body temperature because you might ovulate before you menstruate. But I just think that's so cool that that's, it's kind of a way of giving lactating, breastfeeding people time to sort of decide what they want to do too. And I think that there's so much going on then, you know, I, I often visit moms or, you know, parents when they've just had the baby or babies. And it's really, you know, it's really a time when I feel like they really need to have some space and maybe not have to make a lot of decisions at that point. Um, and I know that at the six week appointment, there are options um, kind of presented for birth control. So it's really nice that the body's like, gives that little time and it's different for everybody and you want to be observing your signs but I think that's a great way to kind of move into that and and kind of a first um one of the first things I think of when I think of fertility after pregnancy or after birth mm -hmm. and I think it's important also to note that like you were saying to actually to do pay attention to your signs and yes. know <laughs> your because even though <laughs> when you're breastfeeding, usually, like if it's what you said, every two to three hours exclusively mm -hmm. breastfeeding and for a certain period of time, chances are you will not get pregnant. There are sometimes where you do. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that's, that's how I joke that that's how, my, how I have a little brother. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's right. Everybody's body's different and we just really want people to recognize the amazing thing that their body is able to do but also be sort of safe and understanding that their body might be different and I always say you know if a baby's sleeping and your baby might just sleep longer than three hours and I'm like we're not going to wake up that sleeping baby <laughs> get some rest you know so um and you might not remember that they slept longer that one time and that might make a difference so it's really yeah like you said just paying attention but just understanding that our bodies do have amazing capabilities Absolutely. Um, I, I can't talk about fertility after pregnancy without talking a little bit and menstrual cycle without talking a little bit about lochia, which is that big first period you get after your baby is born. Can you talk about that for a bit? Talk about lochia in terms of fertility? In terms, not in terms of fertility, but in terms of, of part of what your body, like what is the point of the lochia and how, what does it look like? What does it usually, how does it, you know, how long does it last? Like all these things that people should also know. Um, yeah, in terms of lochia, usually for the first few days, it's, it's a lot redder and it's, we would consider it to be more than what, an, what your normal menstrual period would be. Um, and then it kind of gets into like cirrhosis, this pinkish color, and it should decrease in amount. And then it may turn into, I think it's called alba, it kind of gets white, and it's more similar to discharge. Um, and it's normal for it to last like up to six weeks. Um, and then I think, you know, that's part of being aware of ovulation too, is we just let people know that if they start to get more cervical fluid, then that may be an indicator that they're going to ovulate soon. So just to, to be watching that um, lochia and fluid at all times. Um, as a doula, I also like, yeah, I love that you said that it can be normal up to six weeks because sometimes it's a lot shorter, but some, it's good to know that it can go on for that long, even mm -hmm. though it's decreasing. And I also love to tell moms that you know during that postpartum period to listen and, and, and back to that communication part of to listen to the lochia what their body is telling them in terms of a red flag as if you know lochia is going down and it's almost gone or it's pinkish or it's brownish and then suddenly you get a bright red flare-up definitely that it might be that you're overdoing it your body going oh hey slow it down take it back down yeah i think that's really great i think that we don't spend enough time in the homes of, we don't have enough people who actually visit people at home after they have a baby. And I think that's a huge miss in terms of care. I think we're like, okay, you had your birth, go home, keep this human alive and also recover from your birth or, you know, transition into like, you know, <laughs> transition after your, your pregnancy and we don't necessarily give enough support. So I think it's really great to, you know, normalize that and then also think about, well, 
you know, I try to say like, there's no stupid questions. There's no, you know, you can ask me a question multiple times because I feel like that's the time when everything is new. And especially, you know, it might be new in your body if you haven't experienced a pregnancy before. Even pregnancies can be different. So just really thinking about having people that you can ask about that stuff and people that will come and be with you in your home. Um, I really love, I have actually really loved learning more about abdominal massage too in terms of, um, I know there's great massages for like after a C-section and there's great massages for um, postpartum and there's like um, wrapping that can be really supportive and and, um, really helpful with that kind of thing. Um, I'm not talking about like the wraps that are like your weight loss wrap because that makes me want to yeah, not that. Be very angry. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. I feel very angry about that. But it's about like support, and there's these really great um, healing practices with that. And I think that just having people that can come in and and really like connect with you um, in terms of asking questions, be with you where you are after you've had a baby, and and also the importance of having practitioners who will put their hands on your body and tell you what's true in your body. And I think that was so has been so life-changing for me in learning about abdominal massage. And I think that can be a really great thing for postpartum too. Um, And in terms of bleeding, just having, again, having people that you can ask questions to, because sometimes it will like kind of go away and then come back a little bit. And it's about when is, you know, when is that, um, when do we worry about that? Like, when do we kind of say like, oh, or when do we think that that's not necessarily lochia, but maybe transitioning more into menstruating, like, you know, want to have people that we can ask that to and I think one of the great things about charting is that you can see the ovulation and that's like that's like a different part in just the shedding of the endometrium and and the, the clearing out of of everything that has been in the uterus um because the ovulation is kind of separate to that so being able to watch that too is a, is kind of a way to like link it back into fertile and infertile yeah I think you made a good point too about and if if you do start to see more bleeding than you were used to, especially um, closer to when you delivered, even when you're at the hospital or when you go home. And, and I think um, then just trust yourself. And if you feel like there's a problem, then you always have the right to ask questions. Yes. Sometimes you want to keep in mind, you know, um, like retained placenta. Um, and if, if you're really starting to see like big blood clots or something that feels really abnormal to you, then then you can always get it checked out. You can always ask more questions. Yeah, that's super important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I and I'd have have had um, doula clients have, have had that that everything was fine, and then it's like, ah, oh, why why is this, you know, this lochia not diminishing? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? Why is it constantly the same or more? Why am I still so crampy? And they, there was a bit of retained placenta that got missed. Right. Yeah, that can happen sometimes. And we want to just, you know, encourage people that they are so important. And we, you know, it doesn't matter if you ask a question and, and it was fine. We'd rather you ask the question and you felt okay, you know, and you got the support that you needed. And that would help us to, you know, if that helps that person to feel more relaxed or to, you know, to feel safer and more comfortable in their body, then we want people to sort of feel like they can ask questions and share information and and just that there doesn't need to be this big like hush hush taboo sometimes I kind of talk about how you know if somebody dies in a family or if somebody has a baby in a family or if something happens within a family that we we feel like we decide for that person or those people that we are gonna we're gonna leave them alone and we we don't want to bother them and in some ways I think it's just that we're not brave enough to say like hey I'm so sorry or hey congratulations like can I do anything for you Mm -hmm. you know and we don't want to kind of and we used to do that as communities we used to kind of go in there and be like hey you know I'm I'm here and we're a community and and I call it like shining the light on things and I think that we I think it's okay to do that and I think as a postpartum doula I'm really fortunate and as a placenta encapsulation specialist I'm really fortunate to be able to do that and to be able to go into people's homes and a lot of the time when I'm delivering a placenta I'm just the the thing I like most about doing that is just being like hey what's going on? Tell me about breastfeeding. Tell me about sleeping. Tell me about, you know, I've, I've come to people's appointments where I've just met them. I'm dropping off the placenta and they're like, can I show you my stitches on my perineum? You know? And and I'm like, sure. Like, you know, and then I'll refer somebody else if I feel like that's what's needed. But it's just about like having someone there who you can ask questions to. And a lot of the time, 
It's literally just, is this normal? That's the question. That's most people's question. And they're just looking for reassurance. And I think we need to think of more ways that we can give that to people. Yeah, because it, it also doesn't make sense that up to, you know, up to the birth, as leading up to the birth, every week we get to more and more care. And by the end, you're having to go see your provider every week. And then suddenly you give birth. Two days later, if you were at a hospital, you get sent home and then it's see you in six weeks. That's a long time, six weeks. Right. Yeah, I think that's where postpartum doulas come in and, and can be so incredibly important and compassionate and um, are so needed in the home, you know, just to be there as support. Yeah, and to, to help you, guide you through that newness. It's just all so unknown. Exactly. <laughs> and to reassure, absolutely, yeah. So it would be great if there were people who could do that with fertility I feel like with with kind of like navigating this new um stage of fertility I think that's really important too and we we place different importance as a society I think or, or we we give different levels of support for different phases phases of fertility and I feel like sometimes we miss a lot of postpartum I think we miss a lot of support in that time and I think it would be great if we had more options at that time more options presented immediately after or, or maybe more time after after somebody has a baby for them to have to hear options about manage like, like managing i hate that word for fertility but like kind of you know interacting with fertility um mm. yeah i feel like that's really important and our cycles through like you you know you mentioned fertility doula you mentioned you birth control doula mm-hmm. <laughs> i want a menopause doula right It's Mm -hmm. the other end of the cycle, not just the beginning and and when you first get your period, but the process that your body does when it's wrapping up. That's also as crazy as as what happens during pregnancy or what happens when you first get your period. Yeah, we've learned so much about menopause. I think that it's just so cool. What um, have you learned? Like this is personally for me. I'm not obviously there yet, but I was just I just turned 45, so moving towards that direction. Yeah, um, we talk about it sometimes. It comes up during the section about phytoestrogens that Emily does, and we talk about how <clears throat> the ovaries are shutting down um, estrogen production, and that's kind of more moving to fats, and so. Um, people who are going through menopause are encouraged to gain a pound a year just to, um, you know, give those fat stores enough sort of energy to make that estrogen. And we talk about using phytoestrogens to sort of smooth that transition. So phytoestrogens are foods um, that, that contain estrogen that aren't, you know, our natural estrogen. So those could be things like soy or tofu. Um, and for some people that, that helps with their transition. Gaining a pound a year sounds horrible, though. <laughs> I think it's just about, like, eating more fats. Okay. You know, at that time, because estrone um, is is one type of estrogen that you can get from fat. And so it can help to make that transition a little bit smoother and easier. And um, it's a time when you're also offered options. You're offered hormone replacement therapy. And we really want, you know, the message is more like, you can kind of, um, you can support yourself with diet. It doesn't have to be like just that's the option and that there's nothing else. You can start to support yourself with diet and nutrition and really protect those glands that we were talking about, like the adrenal gland, the pituitary, the hypothalamus, those things that are so key in communicating and hormonal communication in hormonal health. We can really protect those too by giving getting enough good fat. So really making that transition kind of supported and easier. We talked too about charting during perimenopause and how charting can can be with you throughout your whole life. So during perimenopause, people might um, experience longer cycles or more anovulatory cycles where they're menstruating but not necessarily ovulating. And that can kind of be an indication that perimenopause is occurring and um, just that awareness can really help people transition too. Mm. That's really interesting to me. See, we focus so much on the early part that I don't quite have that information yet about the yeah, what's it's, up and it's coming. I, 
it's something we're still learning about too. And so many people have come to our classes and said that, yeah, they're not feeling very supported during their perimenopause time. Um, so yeah, we, we're hoping to get more answers too. So what's the next step for you guys, um, both in terms of upcoming travel and um, for the fifth vital sign? Yeah, um, in terms of upcoming travel, we will be in Michigan um, in the next couple of days. We'll be in Detroit, Flint, uh, and Kalamazoo. We're going to Cleveland, Ohio, Pittsburgh, and Boston. And our trip ends May 29th. And then in New York, we, we don't have anything online yet, but we're planning tons of events. Um, we're going to have a really exciting panel discussion on Thursday, June 23rd. Details to come, but Holly Griggsfall, Jessica Blaze, Nicole Jardim, and Abby Epstein will be there talking about hormonal health. And yeah, we're super excited about it. Yeah. That sounds phenomenal. So exciting. And in terms of the future of the fifth vital sign, we're still kind of figuring that out, but I think that it's been so clear that there's been a response from people and that people really have loved the classes and, you know, even just in terms of us fundraising, that was, I mean, I almost feel embarrassed of how little I understood like what support would be there for it and what the response would be. I was like, we want to do this and it's going to be really cool. And we want to share this information because we're excited about it. And then when we saw the response, I think every single day when we were doing our Kickstarter, we were like, what? You know, we were so excited and, and and so moved. And then when we got our car broken into, like, that, you know, somebody set up a GoFundMe for us then. And and just, like, how – what an amazing kind of opportunity to, to kind of decide whether we wanted to continue. And for both of us, we were like, this is so important. We really want to do it. You know, nothing – you know, it really um, – it really didn't affect us. And it was amazing that this thing happened and so many people supported us to keep going. And I think that we do want to keep offering the class and, and certainly we've, we've kind of put something out there and it's been a great response. So we want to find ways to keep offering that kind of support in these kind of classes and, and our website's going to be much more of a resource. We're actually going to take some time at the end of the tour to add more information there and more links and more resources and actually add the slides from our presentation. So we're hoping to kind of continue the work, but we're kind of deciding. Yeah. And how, how validating. It's limitless. It's yeah. so limitless. Yeah. No, but how validating for you that to get that support, to think, I really want to do this. And then people going, yes, how can we make you do this or help you do this? Yeah, it's been so inspiring. People have been incredibly generous and kind. And that's been, you know, one of the most fun parts of the trip is just being able to stay with these hosts and people, you know, people who are in these communities, especially we've learned, we, you know, we've seen, you know, so many parts of the country and learn so many um, different things about the birth communities there. It's been a real eye opener. Yeah. Such an amazing journey. Life, like really it's changed my life and it's all, we say it's like powered by the kindness of strangers in, in most cases. It's like our friends and our family and, and just so many strangers who've just been like, stay in my house. Here's a donation, you know. Yay. I, I want to thank you for all that you're doing because it is something incredibly important, uh, as you guys know, so that we can help empower people to just be more in, in contact and connection with themselves. It's that's huge. So thank you for all the work you're doing and for taking this crazy wild ride. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for thank your you work, for spreading the good word every week. Oh, yes. Yay. Love fest. <laughs> yeah. We have to meet. We have to meet at some point. Oh, yeah. Helping us to, to keep going. Like we listen to your podcast and it helps us like stay it keeps awake. Me awake. You have actually, it's about survival. <laughs> yeah. You kept us alive. We owe you our lives. Yay. <laughs> Seriously. That's the best, best <laughs> thing you could ever tell me. <laughs> I will keep doing this to keep you alive. Yeah. <laughs> um. So if people want to connect and know more about what you're doing, just go straight to the website or what else? Yeah, straight to the website. It's 5thvitalsign.com. Um, also our Instagram. It's all letters on that one. The fifth vital sign. We're on Facebook. Um, you can email us to the fifth vital sign at gmail.com. Yeah, and but no, everything. 
Go ahead. We're really accessible. We want to be best friends with everyone. We're super accessible. Yes. And also know that they're on the road. So they, it will happen, but they're out and about. So yes. yeah, <laughs> the, we don't have control over our exactly. Wi-Fi situation. And, yeah. Yeah. and we're booking for conferences and talks and things like this for the, for the rest of the year. So we will be in different locations. Um, once we get back to New York, we'll we'll put more of a schedule out on that. But we do plan to keep offering things, not as much on an aggressive schedule. We're not going to do it every day, but we will be doing more classes and, and more talks sort of throughout the year. So we'll be posting that stuff on the website too if you missed us on this tour. And you can invite us if you want us to come. You can still do that. We'll, we're we still really Yeah, we really try to go where we're asked to go. And even if we can't be there physically, like a Skype you know, mm. Skype class or something. We try to make that effort. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you so much, Emily and Kelsey, for all you're doing and, and for having this talk with me today. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter or subscribe at birthful.com. And if you want to further support the podcast and join my adventure in figuring out how to do things differently, then go to patreon.com slash birthful and check out all of the different pledge and reward levels, including an exclusive monthly Q&A chat with me and much more. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>